0: The show. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have a very special and amazing guest. We have Michaela Hart. Michaela is an executive animation producer and co founder of Raft Animation Studios. Just want everyone to know she is a studio runner and runs studios. She does so many amazing things and she's known for the award winning Emmy winning Curious George. Let's welcome Michaela Hart to the show. Hi, Michaela.
1: Hi, Marilyn, Thanks for having me today. This is great. And thanks for doing this show. I know you're reaching out to a lot of people and inspiring a lot more film addicts to get addicted, right?
0: Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, I want everyone to know, where are you tuning in um, and recording with me today?
1: Gratefully, from South Redondo Beach, California. I can see the water glimpsing through from, from where I'm sitting and it's a beautiful day
0: yeah and can you share? Ah, uh, I got the because I, I can see. Um uh, Michaela has the cutest dog.
1: <laughs> Where is he? Oh, I don't know. I think he went out back. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: but he's a he's a bulldog, right?
1: He's an American bully boss. He's gonna be nine next month, and he is the boss.
0: Ah, oh, he's so cute, everyone. So, um, yeah, so we just want to just um. Talk to Michaela because she does so many wonderful things. She's a producer, entrepreneur, artist, activist. her studios that she's worked on and ran include Film Roman, uh, and uh, correct me if I say any names wrong, Golaski Kazuppo. Clasky Chupo. Okay, Glasky Chupo. <laughs> Gamont, Nickelodeon, Universal Animation Studios, and of course Emmy Winner, Curious George. And she is the co-founder, like I said, of RAF Animation Studio. Studio for Echo and Sustainable Storytelling for the Planet. So, uh, Michaela, so I just wanted just, to, you know, like we know where you're at right now, but I wanted to take it back. Like, when you were a child growing up, did you love animation films? Was were, were you just uh, just like, Dad, take me to the theater? And like, did, what was one of your favorite childhood films? You know, um,
1: growing up, I think it would have been. I was probably more impacted by TV animation in transparency uh when it came to films that really moved me my mom always made sure because times were a little different back then in the six seven year eight eight year old youth and um so we had to wait for like wizard of oz to come around every year on cbs at eight o'clock or the sound of music and so i was always inspired by these really wonderful films my mom got me into it and then tv animation was probably one of my best friends you know i made sure every day tom and jerry was on at three o'clock uh, i never missed flintstones i never missed a jetsons um so those were always a big inspiration for me yeah i love them
0: yeah and and what was uh did you have brothers and sisters were you in la going to the movies where were you watching your movies uh, growing up
1: i grew up in the valley and then uh by the time i was in secondary, so burbank I grew up in the movie capital, TV capital, studio capital of the world. So I think, you know, right down the street from NBC, um, literally we were down the street from NBC. We went. I went to John Burroughs High. John Burroughs High is kind of known for being the inception of Glee, you know, how they, yeah, all the musicals that we put on there. And Ron Howard went there, et cetera. So Burroughs, you know, the, the, um, the Burbank school system, we were all kind of, we all kind of had Kids and friends that parents, somebody worked in the industry, so I think we, you know, it it made it one step closer, you know, less not quite six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, right? So growing up in Burbank, that was that was that.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and was there a film that what like when you were a kid was the scariest film that you ever watched?
1: <laughs> scariest film. You know, the subject came up recently um, because it was on here, and it was the scene out of Godfather with the horse's head in the bed, and I should have never seen it. And I remember at that time, I mean, parental guidance was different. For some reason, we were at the drive-in probably, and I remembered sleeping and waking up and being affected by that scene unlike anything I'd ever seen. But we looked, and it was 1972, so I was around four years old. But that was the first moment I remember being impacted visually and it staying with me. Like um it it, it was something that really it had a lot of strength around it uh, for a lot of people probably. But I yeah.
0: was yeah. Yeah, having a horse's head. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um the one film that like I had nightmares after seeing was Kill Bill. I was just head, like, oh God, that was
1: <laughs> Well, my second one would have been passing through, I was probably in fourth grade. And I was at a friend's house, and her brother uh, and his buddies were watching The Exorcist. Ah! And so, and, and it was imprinted in me very early that this was not the media that I aligned with at all. So I went, I've always gone very heavy in the other direction that entertainment for me is an escape. Um, and I tend to like uplifting heartfelt things. I don't go down the... Uh, the destructive, violent, negative track very much in in the filmmaking. And I think that probably has a lot to do, do with, you know, the love of cartoons. Of course, the irony is that in cartoons, the violence in cartoons, especially when we were growing up, was pretty impactful. However, it's not the same thing.
0: Yeah, so what uh, those about, are
1: those are those are my imprinted memories.
0: Yeah, so yeah. what about a magical film? Um, how about um, did you have a favorite criterion film that just blew you away and you're like, wow, that is amazing? Close Encounters. Oh, close encounters.
1: Yeah. I remember seeing that for the first time and and having and and then in high school, probably Raiders of The Lost Ark, those are kind of the movies that also they make the criteria that if they're on on old school TV, that you just turn on the channel and if it's on, it's staying on. Doesn't matter if there's commercials, right? Uh, These are the things that it's always good to watch. And I think I was mostly impacted probably by Close Encounters.
0: And it was because of the contact with the alien or what part of the film is um, that just really, you're like, wow, that was the special scene
1: It was the first time I realized in filmmaking how much impact the leading actor could have on a story. Dreyfus was so amazing in his descent in personal loss as he starts to lose his mind during that process. And my compassion and empathy for him, I remember being so strong and being so moved by it. And the payoff for him at the end was, so phenomenally told by Spielberg that I had never connected with a performance quite like that until that movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, Close Encounters, and the music too, the musical score just added another element that just, and anything Spielberg does is like, oh my gosh, he's just the genius, like, right? So i like, yeah. Yep.
1: But the, but the magic, the magic of the communication, the magic of the love of, you know, um, making that contact. And it's, it's still, you know, there's the five movies you'll take if you're on a desert island and you're stuck. <clears throat> Close Encounters is on that list.
0: Ah, what were the other ones?
1: <laughs> Rear Window, Toy Story 2, probably Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> And I think the fifth one is probably always going to vacillate to whatever the favorite is of that moment.
0: Yeah. Well, well I have to ask it you, because you're in animation and I've done all these wonderful films. Is there a special animation movie that is one, one of your favorites? Because I know there's more than one, but do you have a special one that uh, really appeals to your heart?
1: Um, well, like I mentioned, interestingly enough, uh, Toy Story 2 for me is on the top, my top five. And that was because it was – it was early enough on in my career, but I also realized it was the first time an animated film had zero gravy. It was perfectly tight, perfectly created, perfectly woven together. For me, it was a perfect film, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and then as far as animation goes, um, obviously there's all the phenomenal you know, beginnings of Disney. Uh, I love uh, Iron Giant, Brad Bird's Iron Giant. Uh, but the defining one for me was in 1991, Disney released a uh, a work in progress version of Beauty and the Beast. And that was intended for uh, Radio City Music Hall because it was for a film festival at that time. And I said, oh, I'm gonna go check this out. And it was the first time I had ever seen raw animation, storyboards, um, unfinished scenes all combined together into one cut. I had never seen anything like that. So it gave me my first experience of being on the cutting room floor, but I was in this theater and I had this very, I had a very uh, electric moment And I went back and saw it the next day. And then I saw it again. And I thought to myself, because I was very involved in theater, I wanted to be an actress. Um, And uh, I had gone to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts to be an actress. And um, and 1991 came along and I was kind of at this crossroads. What do I want to do with my life? Really want to do, and I loved my art. And when I saw these These unfinished images of animation on the big screen, I immediately knew. Immediately. That's it.
0: Ah, that is, you know, that's magical in itself. Like, um, I remember seeing, like, when talking about the Criterion Collection and I was born in Italy. The Miracle Milan, when I saw the Miracle Milan and it was black and white and before special effects were around and, because I always write magical stories That one, I just hope and just like how like, I think it kind of like COVID right now, like all these people were just down and out and there's this magical element that they could be helped and everybody wants this magical element. I just, I just love stuff like that. Um, And um, so just like you said, like the magical element of of seeing something like Beauty and the Beast, it's raw images or seeing somebody do something so special and it inspires you. So I'm going to ask you. Um, I I know you like Spielberg's Close Encounter and Toy Story two, but do you have a favorite director that um that just there's a scene from a movie that just you just blows you away?
1: You know, I feel like I should be that person who has their favorite director, right? I'm gonna cough, excuse me. <laughs> All times to get a tickle. I feel like. One more time. You're going to have to enter me out because I'm going to have a big cough. Okay.
0: The fun of live radio.
1: Love it. I'm so sorry. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of anything Rob Reiner. I'm a huge fan of of the pieces that Cameron Crowe did. Obviously Spielberg. Um, bodies of work I tend to look at you know but then I just had a conversation with my boyfriend the other night when Godfather was on and I said I feel like I should never say out loud that Godfather is not on my top list it's like I feel like I'm I'm saying something absolutely horrible by doing that and I think Coppola is you know unbelievably visionary but at the same time I was like but I I had a great affinity for his daughter's movies Sophia does phenomenal work so i just don't have one i think it's bodies of work um obviously i think my all time favorite movie forever will be rear window and that's hitchcock but it's not your typical hitchcockian it's the one that stands out a little different from everything and it's the kind that was the hardest to make if you look back because it's the one location and and those have the story behind. The movies and the visionaries and the directors are often what fuel the love I have for that story too, you know, for
0: yeah. that filmmaker. So so I'm gonna ask your next step. So you're so right now you're in LA, you're going to the school at where um, so many people went in the Burbank, Ron Howard. So and you said that you, you wanted to be an actor. So you went to the Academy of the Dramatic Arts, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so can you share with us how you, how you started your career?
1: I left LA. I, I, I had gone and studied theatrical arts. I wanted to be an actress. I did that for a tiny bit of time in LA and I would show up for auditions with, you know, five foot nine blonde aerobic instructors vying for these roles. And I'm like, boy, this is not me. This is, I, I don't know if this is me. I don't know if, It it just didn't quite align once I was really out in the world. And um, I decided I wanted to go back and study some art. And I started taking some classes at the Animation Institute when I had that revolutionary moment that I could combine my work as an artist and an actress in the world of animation. And, uh, And that just seemed really logical to me. A marriage of... My two biggest loves, you know, art and performing. And so animation seemed like a logical choice. And at that time, I was, uh, I had done some traveling and I was traveling in Europe in, um, it was 1991. And I met my daughter's father. And so I met a Frenchman and I had a deep love of Paris. So I, uh, 1991, he came and visited for a little while. I I left my job at Ralph's grocery store, and I moved to Paris. Uh-oh. And in Paris, I thought that you know, this if, if I can break into an indus, any kind of art world, it'll be here. And I got an opportunity through friends of a friend. It helped that I was American. I think that was a that was a big uh, boon in 1991. Um and uh there was a small animation studio that was looking for some help and they were just getting started and i said "Oh, i would love that you know they met me and i came in i started as an artist and quickly realized i was very surpassed by the talent around me um and i but i was getting the scripts would come across my desk and the storyboards would come across my desk. And I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to see the art. I couldn't wait to see the next script and story. And, and that, and and when I got the opportunity, um, I was working with a wonderful Canadian producer at the time. And she's like, you know, would you like to work in production as opposed to on the art side? Um, which wasn't necessary. It was the fact that I also wasn't as good an artist. Um, but it seemed like a logical choice for me. And I always knew that I'm a very good artist, but I'm not a very good animation artist, but I can tell all the talent around me. And it seemed like at that time it made sense. So, and I wanted to learn all the steps in animation because I didn't have a formal education in So I learned how to make animation from the best of the best in France, in French, that was my, that was my animation education and had the opportunity then to work with this company for several years. And then I moved back in, um, in 2000. So my first, the first half of, first half, the first eight years, nine years of my career was entirely um, in another country, but in another, mentality culture format uh business model we worked heavily in co-productions European financing is very different than the capitalistic American studio financing etc so I learned a whole lot of stuff in the uh, in the 90s that was very different than how everybody was living here for sure so I had a lot to learn when I moved back
0: wow and where were you living at in Paris or uh, <laughs> oh wow did, did you learn to speak did you always know how to speak French or you just had to You picked it up.
1: I I picked it up. I had a year of very bad high school French. Uh, I just knew I had this deep passion for France and if given the opportunity, I would have loved to have been there. And once I was there, I'm like, I just love everything about it. Curiously, um, it it passes down from generations because my daughter got the same disease as me. Happy happy to, you know, uh, uh, work and live abroad. Basically, so, um, but her calling was uh, London. Oh, Yeah, so, um, no, I did not know how to speak French. I learned, I learned how to speak French. I learned all of it. And um, so my daughter was born there. Eventually I took the nationality. So I'm a French citizen. And so I have a lot of gratitude with that part of my life. It's my second home.
0: Oh, wow, wow. And then, so what made you come back to LA?
1: Uh, just life,
0: you know. Uh, at that point, uh, my family had
1: had some big changes, and the, and my daughter's father uh, wanted to start a business, et cetera. And we had been talking about coming back for some time, so it was just an opportunity. And he had a he had a work change, and so we had had a child. And after she was once she was old enough, we decided, okay, we'll give it a try. and We'll move back, and we stayed we stayed here since.
0: oh, Every oh that's amazing. And and so you you worked in France. Can you tell us like your favorite? So you went from artist. So what was your first um, production um, film that you did that you want to you want to share with us?
1: Um, the first thing I ever worked on in my life was a show that I don't think anybody's ever seen called Dog Tracer. But the the third project I worked on is still probably one of my favorites, and it was um, a show called Mister Men and Little Miss. Mr. Men and Little Miss is a very famous English property that's kind of, we've done a couple of uh, things here. I know we've done, um, it's been rebooted, but it's their emotions and they're like, they're from a very successful children's book series. So they have Mr. Happy, Ms. Wise, uh, Ms. Sage, uh, Mr. Grumpy They're but uh, we made these wonderful stories. And at that point it's probably one of my favorite experiences because it was all so new to me and fresh and I was so passionate about it. And to get to work with these amazing talents on a project that was so endearing and lovely. And to this day, it's sometimes less is more, you know? I've worked on some really big, loud, complicated projects. And sometimes I I like the really simple stuff that just shoots straight to your heart, you know?
0: Yeah, so so can you share with us, like, um so you worked on this really cute, so can you share it again with us so the audience heard the name of it? It was called... Uh,
1: Mr. Men and
0: Little Miss. Mr. Men and Little Miss. Oh, it sounds so cute. Yeah. And then so it you is. worked on these projects, and so so you went from artists to in the production side, and then um how did you make the jump to starting to produce or run the studios? Yeah.
1: <sighs> If I've I've been fortunate enough and I'm very grateful as I was starting to watch, you know, the process of how the longevity that people get hired for on productions in our world. And I noticed that a, uh, um, people in production who started the production usually had to stay on to after the production still to keep it. So from, it seemed like a logical thing. I'm like these jobs, you know, that if I was to be hired as an artist, I'm looking at maybe a three month contract as opposed to a year or 18 months to produce something. So it seemed like a a logical step at that time and pragmatic and also accepting the reality that I was working with some unbelievably talented artists that I didn't, I can't compete with, nor did I want to, that's not my wheelhouse. But, um, but collaborating with them and, overse- and also overseeing the spectrum, the full spectrum of the content we're making. That was always super important to me because as an artist, when I would get a shot, I would get a shot with one scene and I'd have two scenes handed out a day. And that's all I did. I did the drawing for that scene for the layout so they could paint a background. Didn't matter that it's a 22 minute episode and there were 275 shots. Those were what I saw that day. And I had such a desire to be able to be part of the entire process from, from birth to grave, which is kind of a negative way to say it, but that's true, that I felt very confined by, by only working on a micro section of the production day to day. I really enjoyed managing all of it, Overseeing all of it, having an effect to how the story turns out—that's um, what really motivated me. So it just seemed like a logical place to stay, and the acceptance, you know, that I made a better producer than an artist because I could recognize the talent around me was superior to my own, you know, and let my ego get out of the way.
0: Oh wow! So we're gonna uh, we're gonna um uh, end here and then ask the audience to come back for part two with Michaela Hart because. We want them to know your exciting story, how you went from artists from L.A., L.A. girl to French girl back to L.A. And all the studios that you ran and your own co-studio now that you just created. So um, join us back, audience, for part two with Miguela Hart. Thanks for listening. Thank you. We'll be right back.